Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Adam Mendler, who is the CEO of the Veloz Group, and this is a company that oversees ventures across a wide variety of industries, including Beverly Hills Chairs, Custom Tobacco Company, a Technology Solutions Consulting Company, and Adam also hosts the 30-Minute Mentors Podcast. He's involved with a lot of different ventures, and we go through all of them in this episode, how he started them, how he has this group of seemingly no companies that fit together all under this Veloz Group kind of umbrella, and how he decided which companies to start, which companies he ended up continuing on with and all that in this episode as always the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an apple podcast and finally the weekly grind which is my weekly newsletter with tips tools and strategies for launching and growing your business can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter without further ado here is adam mendler the ceo of the veloz group Adam, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, and talking during uh, the end of April here in 2020, so amid the COVID-19 crisis. So that's context for the listeners here as we go through this. And we're going to get into a lot of different things with with leadership and kind of leading through this crisis as well. But what I want to start with is you have done a lot of different things, involved in a lot of different things. So if someone asks you today, Adam, like, what do you do? What do you tell them? (laughs) I tell them, look at my bio, <laughs> read it, read for yourself. Next question. I, <laughs> no, There's a, a lot to unpack. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. I run a few different businesses. So we started three different businesses in three different industries. We have an office furniture company called Beverly Hills Chairs. We're the leading sellers in the country of refurbished Herman Miller Aeron chairs and all other brand name chairs. So what we do is we offer customers chairs that they want that are in-demand chairs. One of the things I learned in my six years of business school, four as an undergrad, two as an MBA, is you don't want to create demand, you want to address demand. Customers have great demand for Herman Miller Aeron chairs and all the other chairs we sell. What we do is we offer them at about 50% off retail. And in times like these, when everyone's trying to figure out what kind of chair should I buy for my home office? It's an interesting time to be in this business. So that's one of our companies. We have a cigar company called Custom Tobacco. You can go online and create your own fully customized private label cigars in real time. We have a software development company called Velo Solutions, where we work with early stage to middle market companies, helping them create custom software. that will typically come in when a team needs really sophisticated work. Um, we're, we're usually like the, uh, call it eighth or ninth inning relievers. Uh, although, you know, yeah. oftentimes we'll, we'll pitch complete games, but uh, you know, that's, that's that business. In addition, I do a lot of writing and speaking. So I've written in a bunch of different publications. I speak to different businesses, universities, nonprofits on leadership management, entrepreneurship. And I have a podcast called 30 Minute Mentors, where I go one-on-one each week with one of America's most successful people on how they got to the top and how listeners did as well. And that's a mouthful, which is one of the reasons why I (laughs) don't like talking about my bio. 
<laughs> totally fair, but I think it's worth <laughs> worth repeating as people are like, wait, who is Adam? And obviously I'll do an intro so people hear a little bit about it. But it's always interesting. <laughs> when, it's always interesting when people are involved in so many different things. It's like, wait, like what do you do exactly? And yeah, it's all over the place. And and one thing that's kind of like I would say the most kind of prominent thing to speak about right now is is leadership. So obviously a lot of experience with talking to so many different people and some amazing guests in your podcast as well. In terms of companies, entrepreneurs leading their companies through this COVID crisis, and really, you know, any crisis that may come up, like, how do you think they should start to think through this process and leading their team, especially during crisis? Justin, tremendous question. I've been speaking quite a bit about this topic since coronavirus has hit, and there's a lot we can talk about, but I try to distill it to three main takeaways for listeners. Number one, leaders need to be as trustworthy as possible. Leaders need to be truthful, honest. Leaders need their word to be believed. Leaders need anyone and everyone in their organization to feel like when they say something, that can be taken to the bank. So in moments of crisis, it's extremely important for leaders to have already built up a level of credibility that they can then cash in on when times are getting tough. And that kind of leads to point number two, which is it's extremely important in all times, but particularly in times of crisis, to communicate as proactively as possible. Now, it's understandable that you may want to you know, we're all working from home anyway. You may want to just sort of stay in bed and if you have a comfortable bed and blanket, just sort of hide under it. <laughs> but now is the time for leaders to step up. You have to be out in front. And even though we can't meet with our teams face-to-face, -face, we can leverage all the tools at our disposal to communicate. And we need to communicate as proactively and aggressively as possible. Get on phone calls, get on Zoom calls, send text messages, even emails and Slack. I personally do all of the above and encourage every leader to do all of the above. Number three is the importance of adaptability and flexibility. If there's one thing you learn as an entrepreneur, and Justin, I know that you've interviewed many, many, many entrepreneurs of all backgrounds. And if there's one thing that any entrepreneur will tell you, it's that if you cannot deal with change, you will not be an entrepreneur for very long. If there's one certainty as an entrepreneur, that certainty is change. And as a leader, particularly a leader in a time of crisis, you have to be able to be comfortable with change. You have to be able to adapt to change. And not only do you have to be able to adapt to change, you have to have an organization tooled to be able to adapt to change. And, you know, we could spend all episode talking about these things and much, much more, but hopefully that gives a little bit of a flavor for your listeners. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. And one of the things I'm thinking of right away from that, obviously we're, we're right in the middle of this crisis and who knows how long it will go. So obviously we've been in here for a number of weeks, but when you mentioned kind of, you know, it all starts beforehand, even in terms of setting things up. Like what what types of things though 
knowing that we, we can't really go back in time, like, oh, what, what could we have prepared for uh, before this COVID-19 crisis? But what can people do in their companies, especially if they're just starting companies now? Because even though we're in a crisis, there's still companies that are being started. Like, What can people do from the start of their companies to kind of establish things to prepare them then so when crises like like COVID-19 or whatever the next thing is going to be, like so they can prepare for these types of things and already be set up for success? Really good question. Number one is you need to have people around you who, because look, at the end of the day, Justin, it's not just you right? as a leader, as an entrepreneur, it's your team. You need to have people around you who are capable, who are empowered to act. You need to have a really strong team of leaders. You need to have a really strong team of performers. And the teams that are performing well in this moment are teams that are led by leaders who are empowering people around them to step up to the plate and they're providing guidance, they're providing whatever support that they can. But at the end of the day, we're all in this together, but we all are working in our own spaces. We're not working in the same space. And that's something that we may not have necessarily predicted a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. And the best way to have prepared for that was by preparing your team to be able to solve problems independently, to be able to excel independently, to feel empowered, to take responsibility and not necessarily feel dependent on a chain of command for decision-making. So in my organization and in other organizations, I really try to emphasize this point. I try to make decisions that other people can't make. And there aren't really that many of those. <laughs> I try to empower everyone in my organization to make decisions that they're qualified to make. If it's a decision that you're capable of making, I'm very happy to serve as a sounding board. I'm very happy to provide whatever guidance, insight, advice I can. But I don't want to be the person making every decision in the company. Not because I don't want to make decisions. At the end of the day, your job as a leader is to make decisions. It's specifically because I want to develop people in my organization as leaders capable of making decisions. Right. And with that too, then Adam. So obviously, it comes it comes from the top, right? So everything has to come from the top. You you're enabling them to make decisions, and it starts with you. First off, setting that precedent within the organization. But with that too, I'm curious about the messaging, like how that message is portrayed. So for instance, we know we're going through this crisis situation. People see that, like, like what's the message you send or that you you, you tell your employees, like, okay, this we know is a crisis. Like, this is what we're going to do. Like, how is that message conveyed, and like, what is kind of that messaging for that? I'm curious about that. So when this first hit, my message was, this sucks. Yeah. Obviously, we don't want this. Obviously, this isn't anything that any of us wishes upon anyone. But it's here. And all we can really do is deal with it. I personally am here to be as supportive as possible. I will be a resource to whatever extent I can be a resource. If anyone wants to talk to me, if anyone needs anything from me personally, I'm here. Everyone has my phone number. You can reach out to me at any time. And that's my way of responding to this. Not trying to sugarcoat it, not trying to pretend like it isn't here, not trying to pretend like 
it's business as usual. It's not business as usual. Our business has fundamentally changed. We have three different businesses. Each of the three businesses have changed significantly. Um, so you, you can't pretend that things haven't changed. All you can do is accept change and adapt to change and have your team try to move together with you toward that right winning direction. Yeah. And obviously that's so, can, can be difficult to make sure everyone's bought in. I think if you've done it right from the beginning, clearly it's going to be more helpful uh, for everyone. But ultimately in this situation, you know, many businesses, they're forced to either fur furlough employees or lay off employees. Um, and obviously you've been an entrepreneur for a while now. And I'm, I'm assuming having to uh, fire employees or at you know, yep. have to move on essentially. Like, how do you have that conversation though? Or how would you have that conversation in times like this where it's like, we, we just have to, we don't really have a, a choice. Like I'm curious how you can kind of think through that process then. Yeah. Um, it's not fun to fire employees. It's not even fun to fire employees who you really, really want to fire. I mean, I wrote an article in the Huffington Post a couple of years ago about an experience in which we hired a girl from a top university and she didn't work out to say the least. We fired her after two weeks. She was a complete disaster and disastrous in terms of the way she impacted our company culture, disastrous in every way. And even in that sense, we couldn't wait to fire her. I wanted to fire her after one week. And my team told me, Adam, you can't fire an employee after one week. And by week two, Every person in my company begged me, Adam, what, what's taking you so long to fire her? But and even that experience of firing her, a person that was so toxic, wasn't fun. Anyone who enjoys firing people needs to get their head checked because no one will tell you that it's an enjoyable experience. And the process of having to lay someone off or having to furlough someone, these are tough conversations. They're necessary conversations as a business owner. They're necessary conversations as a leader. I think you have to do it with your heart. You have to do it with empathy. You have to do it with compassion. You have to do it with honesty. You can't sugarcoat things. You have to explain where you're coming from. You have to be as supportive as possible. And I think if you do what you have to do and you do it with heart, it will be taken as well as it can be taken. It's not always going to be taken well, but your job as a leader is to do things that are hard, but to do things that are right. Yeah. And like you said, not, not easy by any means, but it's ultimately, it's going to be disadvantageous for both the company and the person. If they're not in the right role, they're not the right fit, or if you just can't keep them around, like if a company suffers and that goes down because you just can't do that. So it's so incredibly difficult. And I've talked to the different entrepreneurs about this too. Like that part is it's the sucky part of entrepreneurship among other things is having to do that, you know, from the top, from being the leader of this organization and having to fire people. But on the flip side of that too, in a, such a unique time, as COVID-19, where there are people being fired, uh, certain business models obviously are just not conducive to this environment and so have to let people go. There is a lot of talent available right now and there's going to be more talent available. As an entrepreneur, like, are you thinking about that at all? Like, Opportunistic about the fact that there are like all these qualified, very smart people available to help in di different capacities? Like, How are you thinking about that? Yeah, really good question. And not only am I thinking about it, 
I think all entrepreneurs are thinking about it. I'm in different groups of entrepreneurs and I'm seeing entrepreneurs who are in businesses that are growing, posting, saying, hey, I'm looking to hire someone and I'm specifically looking to hire someone who is coming off of a company that got hit by COVID because I know that they're really good people at companies that are now having to lay people off or having to make decisions that are causing people to leave voluntarily. And there is going to be this drain of talent that will lead companies that have businesses that are indeed booming um, with the ability to bring on really, really good people. For me personally, I have leveraged it in a very small way, not in a big way by any means, but I picked up a couple of freelancers for side projects. So even something as small as my podcast, I interview people on my podcast, 30 Minute Mentors. We record like you and I are recording right now. And at the end of the episode, it's done. It's great. But I want to take that episode and turn it into a blog post, have that on my leadership blog at adamendler.com. And there are transcription services that you could use and they are all automated and they're okay, but they come out with a lot of errors. And then there's kind of that manual process of cleaning it up. And, you know, you need to sort of hire, if you want to do it right, you kind of need to hire someone to go through it and, and do it. So I, in the midst of this uh, crisis, realized that was, you know, I was kind of doing it myself initially just to sort of start getting these out. And then I said, all right, I've got a bunch of these I need to transcribe. Who can I bring on to do this? So I posted in a couple of different places. I was flooded with unbelievably qualified, way overqualified people to do it. And I wound up bringing on a girl who's doing this for me just on a part-time basis, um, really just kind of project by project. And she's incredible and way overqualified, like incredibly overqualified for this. And I'm thrilled to be able to give her this kind of work. I think she's happy to have any kind of income coming in. So I think as an entrepreneur, you need to try to figure out what work do you have and how can you give it to people right now? Because there are lots of people out there looking for things. Yeah. And that's a big part of being an entrepreneur is delegating, kind of like you mentioned before, and especially at this this time, there are people available where you can delegate tasks and have them on the team and really pick up some talented people. I know at Coefficient Labs, we're pretty close to bringing on uh, someone actually from the USC MBA program who got their uh, MBA internship uh, pulled, which has happened to a lot of people. And that definitely would not be an option in the current, you know, in any normal environment. But it's like we see the opportunity of like trying to bring someone in, give them experience, give them, you know, opportunity to to learn and do some things where otherwise it's like, what are they doing? And they're stuck. And so it is a matter of like, yeah, it's beneficial to both sides of the table um, in that circumstance as well. And, and what I want to go back to though, something we, we didn't really go back to the, the beginning. I want to know with your companies, obviously so many over the years of leadership and things you've done with actually running these companies, but how did you get started in entrepreneurship in the first place, Adam? Justin, really good question. And time flies when you're having fun. Time flies in our interview when you're having fun. Time flies in life, certainly in entrepreneurship. Uh, it was eight years ago, believe it or not, back in 2012. And my path started, I'm an LA native and 
like you, Justin, I'm a Trojan. I did my undergrad at USC and I did, um, I had two degrees in my four years at USC. I studied business and political science and just loved my experience at USC. When I graduated, I worked on Wall Street for a couple of years for what was then the largest hedge fund in the world, a company called DE Shaw. I then got my MBA at UCLA while I was in business school. I worked for two large companies in the entertainment industry, William Morris Endeavor and Universal Pictures, and then went back into finance working for Credit Suisse. I was 28 and I had felt like I had worked for these four big companies between my jobs and my internships across two big industries. I'd also worked for a couple of big companies in sports uh, as an intern. I interned for the NBA and their summer league back in the day and just felt like I knew what life was like in corporate America. I knew what life was like working for a big company. If there was ever going to be a time for me to see what life was like on the other side, to really get that entrepreneurial taste, scratch that itch, I felt like it was the right time in my life. My expenses were never going to be any lower. My energy was never going to be any higher. It was just the right time for me to do it for a lot of different reasons. And I walked away from my career and started the Velos Group, which is the parent company for our different businesses. Started it with my brother. He's a couple years younger than me, and he was working as a software developer. He's kind of stopped what he was doing. And we named the company after Velos Avenue, the street we grew up on in Tarzana, California, suburb of LA. And haven't looked back. At that time, Adam, you decided to switch. You wanted to go from the from the large companies and try something else out. Obviously, many different reasons uh, for doing that. How did you look at what businesses you wanted to potentially start when you knew that okay, I want to start something, get some, you know, go into a smaller business? Like, how did you decide what business you wanted to start? A really good question, and it, it's uh, a great lesson that hopefully all of your listeners can learn from big mistake we made early on, which was when we started the Velos Group, we had tons of different ideas. My brother and I got together and we were initially working out of my apartment and we had all of these ideas that we wanted to turn into businesses. And what we did was we spent that first year and a half as a business. We got an office pretty quickly and we brought on a bunch of interns and we took each one of our ideas and pushed forward with the notion that we would take these 10 ideas and turn them into businesses. And we really spent that first year and a half. It was a really fun time. It was a really creative time, but it was a time in which we lost all of our money. We burned through all of our savings because we were so distracted running in so many different directions that we didn't have the focus or the discipline to really push on one or two ideas that could bring in money to keep this thing going. And as a bootstrap business, you have a different metric of success than a venture-backed startup. When you're going out and raising money, you know, Justin, as you know, the markers of success are different than when you're a bootstrap business. When you're bootstrapping businesses, you need to bring money in. You have to have cash flow. It's all, it's all about money in, money out. And we had a lot of money coming out and not a lot of money coming in. You don't need to have uh, four years of education at Marshall and two years of education at Anderson to know that. For some reason, that didn't really hit me until it actually happened to me. It was that year and a half of PhD work in the School of Hard Knocks that I really learned the most from. And you know, to answer your question, we took every idea we had and tried turning it into a business. After the first year and a half, 
we then realized that to stay in business, we had to pick the ideas that were closest to monetization. Yeah. And those two concepts were the office furniture concept, the cigar concept. They were both at that point pretty close to being real businesses. Now, there's a difference between being a real business and being a real business. There's a business that can sell a product and then there's a business that can run smoothly, can run like a well-oiled machine. There's Beverly Hills chairs today and custom tobacco today. And there's what it was in the early days. And, you know, it's kind of like looking at a major league baseball player today and comparing that major league baseball player back when they were in single A ball. So, and that's fun when you look back and you say, man, uh, even Mike Trout, as great as he was in single A, wasn't Mike Trout today. Right. So, and our businesses are nowhere near Mike Trout. Right? <laughs> maybe, maybe one day. For, for, one day, exactly. I got to be aspirational in that regard. Obviously, day by day, you take it and things happen. But with that too, so looking at business ideas, you, you pursued so many different ones. And that's, I think, kind of a common mistake I've seen before. People try to pursue too many ideas and really get sidetracked. But you know, going back or even starting now, like how would you evaluate or look at potential business ideas? So for like an aspiring entrepreneur listening, how, what would you say at least to them in terms of how they should look at business ideas or which ones to pursue? Cause you ended up choosing some, but how would you say to pursue that or look at that process? Yeah. Another really good question, Justin. You can tell that you do a lot of these. <laughs> um, there are a lot of really important questions that you need to ask right away. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do a good job asking some of these, but I don't know that everyone does a good job asking all of these. The questions that I like to ask myself when I'm considering a new idea are, firstly, what kind of potential does this idea have? Is this going to be a single or is this going to be a home run? What are we talking about? How feasible is this idea? What is it going to really take to pull it off? Are we talking about another cash flow type business? Or are we talking about a huge business that's going to require going out and raising a ton of venture money. A big question and a really important question is, why me? Am I the right person for this business? Even if this is a great idea, even if this is a billion dollar idea, is this the right idea for me? Am I the right, am I the right person for this? Am I the right entrepreneur for this? Does this business really match my skill set, my interests, my passion, you want to look very closely at the market. You want to look very closely at the competitive landscape. You want to thoroughly understand your customers. Who is your customer? Who is your beachhead customer? How big is, is your market? You want to do some form of real customer validation. We've fallen into pitfalls, certainly in our early days. We, we were so busy counting our money that we didn't do the necessary work of doing real customer validation. If all of your friends and your relatives and you know your cousin, everyone tells you, wow, this is such a great idea. This is it doesn't really mean much. You need to figure out who is your target customer, who is your beachhead customer, and do they like your product? Are they willing to, to pay for it? And start testing it. If the answer to all of those things points you in the right direction, I think you probably have something. If there are a couple of those that are giving you some kind of pause. I would listen to that. Yeah. And Adam, you have multiple businesses right now. So I'm thinking about the focus side of things here. Multiple businesses. Do you ever think of you should just have one of those and try to do more with that? Or do you just like to be able to run multiple different ones? Or like take me through that process and how you kind of think about that at this point? Because obviously there's three, but then 
there's others I'm sure in the works. <laughs> like, how do you look at that? Yeah, Justin, great question. And I can tell you a little bit about kind of how we are, where we are. And, you know, my brother is really the idea guy. He comes in every day with a new idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I feel like I'm Dr. No, right? I'm the one who says, we can't do this. We can't do that. And here's why we can't do it. And here's, and, and for me, a big reason why is because we just don't have the bandwidth to do it. Like you said, we have three businesses and each one of our businesses requires time and effort and energy and management. And the reason why we're able to run three different businesses is because they're not three different multinational businesses. They're three different businesses that are each manageable. Um, our office furniture business is the biggest of the three businesses. And that's the one that requires the most management. That's the one that requires the most focus. That's the one that requires the most time. And as a result, that's sort of the primary portfolio company of the Velos Group. Our other businesses are nice cash flowing businesses. They, um, you know, kind of run and have clients and have customers and are good businesses and are, are you know, are great. But um, it's really the office furniture business for us that over the years has been the one that has taken up the majority of our energy. And um, at the end of the day, I advise entrepreneurs to pick one early because eventually you're going to have to pick one, whether you pick one and spend 100% of your time on it or pick one and spend 80% of your time on it or 70% or whatever the number is, you're, you're going to have to pick a business at some point that's going to require the majority of your time. And why not just pick one and go all in? And I tell people, oftentimes people will ask me, I'll, you know, they'll, they'll find me through my writing, my speaking, my social media, my podcast, whatever. And they'll say, oh, wow, Adam's built these three different businesses, three different industries. That's so cool. How do I, Adam, how do I do what you did? And how do I follow in your footsteps? And I start off by saying, my best advice to you is don't follow in my footsteps. Why do you, why would you want to do what I did? What I did isn't the path you want to go down. Pick your best idea and go all in on it. With having those three businesses now, and you're you're at a different stage than you were before when you first were, you know, thinking about these different businesses, and you had all these different ideas, and you mentioned that now you're saying no all the time to these new business ideas. How has that evolved, or how has that changed for you in terms of thinking about businesses you want to start, or or anything, any new ventures? Now that you have three businesses in the works, how do you evaluate them differently now than maybe you did before? Yeah. So Justin, it really goes back to the same framework that I was advising your listeners on a couple of minutes ago, which is I ask myself, I ask my team, can we really pull this off? Why us? Why is this the right business for us? Why now? Like, it, it, How feasible is this for our team? And even if it's a billion dollar business, can we pull it off? Like realistically, let's just kind of be honest with ourselves. And we, we know, like you have to be, as a leader, you have to really know yourself. You have to be truly reflective. It's one of the things I talk a lot about when I give talks to different audiences, the importance of the journey of self-discovery as a leader. And as an entrepreneur, it's not all that different. You need to really understand who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what you're capable of pulling off. 
and what your team strengths are, what your team's weaknesses are. We know what we're, I know, I can tell you what we're really, really, really good at. And I know what we're not good at. I know what we're really experienced at. I know what we're really inexperienced at. So when it comes to a new business idea, I'm much more excited about things that I know we can pull off, that I know are right in our wheelhouse. I know I've given a couple of baseball analogies and hopefully your listeners like baseball to some extent, but I'm going to give another one, which is as a baseball player, when you're up at the plate, really, really good hitters only swing at pitches they know are in their zone, that they know they can make really good contact on. Even if the pitch looks good, even if the pitch might be a strike, but it's not a pitch that they can drive. If they're a really good hitter, they're going to take, they're going to let the pitch go by. And they're going to wait for that pitch that they know they can crush. And that's how I try to look at business ideas. I try to act on the ones that I feel like are in my wheelhouse, that I feel like I can execute on, and the ones that are going to distract me from my current businesses. Now, Justin, this might be a completely different conversation if I didn't have existing businesses that required so much of my time and energy and focus. It's not like right. I have three hours a week to dedicate to a new venture. So, you know, this, this advice isn't specifically for someone who is trying to start a new company and is coming out of college or maybe leaving their job and thinking of starting a brand new business. This is for someone who, who's sort of like tapped out, but is still kind of evaluating lots of different ideas and trying to figure out, well, okay, well, how do I also do this? And how do I also do that? And how do I leverage my infrastructure? And how do I leverage what I'm really good at it? I know I can add value and I know I can do this. And I I've already done it here and I've already done it there and I've already done it there. So those are the kinds of things that I try to think about. Yeah, I think that's really important because especially people who have either already started businesses, maybe started and sold businesses and moving on to other ventures or have a business that they can run relatively, not, not without them, but they have some time in their day to do other things or they're thinking about starting other other ventures. And I love what you mentioned with like kind of leveraging what you have available and how you can expand from there. It's like, okay, we already have this company who does this like XYZ thing here, but we can easily do you know these adjacent things as almost new businesses that will leverage the skills and the talent we have and knowledge and expertise we have to to do this new business. And I think that's important to mention. And, and there is clearly a difference between starting out from scratch and nothing and already having some existing infrastructure in place and experience that you can leverage for something else. I think that's that's super important. And with that experience you have from these years of being an entrepreneur. I'm sure there's been mistakes besides just the initial testing out so many different business ideas at once. What have been maybe one or two mistakes uh, that kind of stand out for you in your career so far? Justin, that's a really hard question to answer because I make one or two mistakes every hour. I feel <laughs> like we all make mistakes every day throughout the day. It's impossible not to make mistakes. You could ask me about what was the biggest mistake you made this afternoon. And my view on making mistakes, and it is a question that I ask a lot on my podcast on, you know, failures, lessons learned from failing. My view on making mistakes is we all make mistakes. Everyone make, makes mistakes. Yes, we want to try to do things to minimize mistakes, but what's more important is accepting the fact that we're human beings who screw up, accepting the fact that we're human beings who will make mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. When you do something wrong, learn from it. Try not to do it a second time, but stay positive. Don't beat yourself up. Use each mistake as a learning experience. 
and push forward because that's how you're going to win. That's how you're going to continue to move on the path that you need to go down to succeed in business, to succeed as an entrepreneur. So I hope that provides some kind of color and some kind of insight on how I think about this subject. Definitely. And kind of on a similar, in a similar vein there with the learning side of things. Personally, uh, avid reader, love reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks. I'm always curious on what my guests are listening to or what kind of books uh, they've read that they've loved, they've enjoyed or suggest to others. So I'm curious what ones you have. Yeah, I actually love when people ask me this question because I, I'm probably one of the few people in this space, you know, leadership, entrepreneurship, management space that will always recommend a book that is not considered to be a management or leadership or business book, but that I think anyone and everyone involved in leadership, management, and business has to read. And that's The Best and the Brightest by David Halberstam. I recommend really reading any book written by David Halberstam. David Halberstam wrote countless tremendous books on world affairs, on, on sports. He's written Lots of great books on baseball, on football, basketball. But The Best and the Brightest was about how we, the United States, got into the Vietnam War. And you might ask yourself, people listening might be wondering, who haven't read The Best and the Brightest, might be wondering, why should I be reading about how we got into the Vietnam War? What does that have to do with running a business? What does that have to do with being an entrepreneur? And it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with lessons in leadership. When you read The Best and the Brightest, you really learn about mistakes made and why our leaders led us down the wrong path and how we could have veered on a different course and how, as a leader, you should steer your organization and how you can avoid really tempting pitfalls. And there's just a lot of wisdom that anyone interested in leading or managing can call from that book that it, to me, it's absolutely required reading for anyone in this space. I really appreciate that. There's so many different books that people aren't aware of that you find there's just these hidden gems because there are so many different experiences people have had that they've, they've shared in books. And it is truly like a treasure trove of information um, that it's amazing. You can just pick up from a book. So I appreciate that insight. And one thing too, I'm always kind of wondering how people look at their day and how they approach approach their days because entrepreneurs have so many different views on this and everyone works in a different capacity, especially now during COVID for sure. But how do you kind of manage your your time or your priorities day to day? Yeah, it's a good question. My, my days are definitely a little bit different during this COVID period compared to how it was before and hopefully how it will be afterwards. I don't have a lot of the same kinds of hobbies that I had before. I've definitely been much more, I, I, if I thought pre-COVID, I was in work mode a lot. I'm, I'm even in work mode a lot more now. <laughs> uh, I, I can't watch sports because there's no sports to watch. I can't go to the gym because there are no gyms to go to. I, I started working out at my place, but it's not the same. I'm using resistance bands. Anyone who's into fitness will tell you resistance bands. I mean, it's been a month now. I haven't even touched a weight. I'm feeling kind of weird. I can't wait to pick up a weight again. Same. And uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Kind of crazy. But uh, I try to be as productive as possible throughout the day. I wake up early. It's something that I've just naturally done from the time I was a little kid. I have a hard time staying awake late at night. I fall asleep as soon as I'm tired. But the flip side, I wake up early every morning. And when I get up, I start my day off by just diving right in to email. I read the news a little bit. I try to catch up on what's going on in the world. 
less so now than before COVID because I feel like the news is going to really just kind of bring you down now. So I've made much more of an effort to block it out. Yeah. Whereas before I was more focused on being very well informed on what was going on. Now I've made much more of an effort to try to have more tunnel vision. And after spending an hour or two of pounding through emails, doing whatever managerial duties I need to do right away, catching up on open projects, pounding through breakfast, I'll try to get a workout in, hit the shower and get my day going. Um, I now kind of split my time between my place and the office because we are an essential business. So I do come into the office sometimes, but I also am very respectful of the ethos of social distancing and am working remotely a lot. Our team is also has been largely distributed over the years. So in that sense, we've been fairly well tooled for this situation. And I, as far as keeping things focused, keeping things productive, one thing that I live and die by is Google Calendar. Without Google Calendar, I don't know how I would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've, I have all of my meetings in there. I have all of my calls in there. I even have my to-do list in there, everything I want to do throughout the day in there. And I mean, Justin, we can spend the rest of the episode on this. We can spend an entire additional episode on this. There's so many interesting things we can talk about, about on the topic of managing your day, prioritization and the like. But one great tool is Google Calendar for anyone who isn't using it or people probably are using it, but I don't know if anyone uses it as actively as I do. I feel like I live and die by it. If Google charged you per minute, I would be, you know, the biggest user. <laughs> it, it is such a valuable yeah. tool. And I, I find myself, I'm in there all the time now too. I mean, obviously scheduling, scheduling meetings, scheduling calls, podcast interviews. I mean, that's the name of the game for the, the role I'm in uh, with the stuff I do with Platform Lead, Coefficient Labs, but also just go grind. It's like literally... Exactly. Living in that calendar and yeah, I'll put my to-dos as well. Same type of thing because it's just an easy way to like understand what you're trying to get done for that day. Um, and there's so many tools and it's less about the tools specifically sometimes. And uh, obviously they're having that process in place for that. But in this case, yeah, Google calendars is <laughs> legit. And, and one thing, one of the last things that I'm wondering about on a, on a lighter note, uh, what's it like to be an Angels fan in Los Angeles? Right now, it's hard to be a baseball fan, period, because we don't have baseball. Yeah. So I'm struggling just today as a, to be completely honest with you, no sugarcoating. All of my answers to all of your questions were from the heart, from the gut, as honest. I've been grinding, Justin, for this past, however long we've been doing. And, you know, just coming straight from the gut. It's terrible now, no matter what team you're rooting for, because we all miss baseball. We all need baseball. We want it back as soon as possible. It's rough. As far as what it's like being an Angel fan in L.A., I love being an Angel fan, period. I love the Angels. It's heartbreaking being an Angel fan. The Angels are a team that regularly breaks your heart, <laughs> but that's part of being a fan. It's part of being a loyal fan. The first game I ever went to as a kid at age seven was an Angel game and just been a hardcore Angel fan ever since that game. I mean, it was a formative experience for me and love the Angels with all of my heart. I mean, it's... You know, my niece, when she was born, she was born at night that next day at the hospital, put on an Angel game, and it was the Angels against the Marlins, and made sure that her first day alive, she was watching the Angels. <laughs> and she's about to turn three, but she's a hardcore Angel fan, and it pains me that she can't watch baseball this year. We've been, she's, anytime she sees me, 
over the last year, she's been talking about baseball. Adam, when are we going to watch baseball? And, you know, I have a nephew too, who's also, all these guys do, they, they just wear angel stuff. They've got tons of angels gear. And I mean, they got it all for me, but you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard on all of us, but we'll hopefully survive somehow, some way. It is interesting to see during a time like this, all the things we, we miss, all the things we want, all the things, you know, you realize you're so appreciative you have when you don't have them. And, and so that's one of the things is how sports and how it brings people together and people get around that and not having that. It's like, wow, there is that this big kind of gaping hole in, in a lot of people's lives. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a Brewers fan in, in terms of baseball. So I've been, I've been a long suffering fan. Uh, and luckily my Milwaukee Bucks are now uh, good from Wisconsin, but they, for many years, were not good. And so I've suffered through many, many years of the Bucks uh, struggling, let's just say. So I understand. Justin, we could do an entire episode just talking about the group crew. If you want to talk about K-Rod oh, and, man. you know, we can just talk about K-Rod if you want. Uh, for another time, of course. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, yes, indeed. Adam, where can people go, though, to learn more about you, all you're doing, uh, follow you online? I try to make it as easy as possible. It's really just my name, Adam Mendler. You can go to adammendler.com. You can find me on social media, at Adam Mendler. Instagram, at Adam Mendler. Twitter, at Adam Mendler. My podcast, 30 Minute Mentors. You can find it at 30minutementors.com. That's all spelled out. So you just punch in 30minutementors.com. You can also listen to it on your favorite podcasting app, whatever app you're listening to this podcast on, whether it's iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher. Just type out 30 Minute Mentors and hope you enjoy. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link that all up in the show notes, justgrind.com slash podcast. You can find Adam's episode. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. Justin, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Hope your listeners had as much fun as I had. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.